So basically like your daughter's going to be wrung through the gutter. And you know, if we want us to prosecute them, we can, but at the same time, these are the things that she's going to have to overcome. Do you think she can? Right. So my parents at the time made the decision not to go that route. They said, well, we've moved her schools. We've moved her out of that environment. We have the support she needs. She, we don't maybe need to go down that road, but in the long run, I was pissed because I felt like I got my, my power taken away. You know, like I wanted them to go into jail because one, now you're talking about everybody not believing me because they're still walking around. Right. Mm -hmm. So now it's like my friends that still go to that school, the girl, my best friend, I had to break up with over, um, her boyfriend, you know, now you just gave everybody all the ammunition not to believe me. So Mm -hmm. that just like, then I was just this angry girl, you know. Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. This week, I'm shouting out Samora Koo. I hope I'm saying that name correctly. Samora Koo gave me a five-star rating and review that says, Phenomenal and exactly what we need. This podcast not only gives hope, but is courageously real. For survivors to become thrivers, there must be spaces like this that not only validate one's story, but gives light at the end of the dark tunnel. Hashtag never again, hashtag survivor to thriver. Samora Koo, thank you so much for taking the time to post your review, and I couldn't agree with you more. We do need more spaces like this because survivors need support and platforms where our stories can be heard, and I'm so thrilled to know that you found this place to be one of those safe spaces that is courageously real, and we are talking about topics that are taboo, that we are asking the community and culture to stop making taboo because these are just events that happen in people's lives. We need to dismantle shame. We need to dismantle rape culture and create consent culture that allows all of us to have voices. So again, thank you so much for your review. I appreciate it. Friends, keep them coming. I will continue to shout you out each week. Now let's dive in. My guest this week is a survivor turned thriver, someone who has stepped into their healing journey through both spiritual and holistic practices. And I believe that through all of the tragedies and obstacles that they've experienced in their life, they've actually been able to get to a new place of enlightenment and health and wellness that they may not have been able to achieve had they not gone through some of the really difficult moments that they did. I want to let you know that there are some trigger warnings. We do talk about rape and sexual violence and domestic violence. So please be sure that you are taking care of your mental health. So if you need to step away from the episode and come back to it at another time, please know that for me, your mental wellness is the most important. So just wanted to let you know so that you can be aware of aspects of the episode that we'll be talking about that. Arlene does share her story of abuse and rape and more importantly of how she was able to come through to the other side. And it's not just about getting to the other side, but it's that journey of healing, that experience through it that is really the most powerful for everyone. It's also the scariest because, of course, we know that it can bring up a lot. But as we move through the pain, instead of just trying to skip over it, 
we discover our own resiliency. Arlene Salcedo, my next guest, is a 200-hour certified RYT yoga instructor. She's also a Reiki practitioner and a human design chart reader. Arlene is the curator of Luna Soul Wellness, and she began healing and teaching through yoga and holistic care. Her passion to support others' healing journeys had always been prevalent. She believes healing and change begins with self-love and self-awareness practices. Her principal approach is to encourage women to learn, embrace, and embody the natural lifestyle, holistic healing, and self-care so that they can live a balanced life and be their own healer. I'm all for that. We are capable of being our own healers, and it does take support. I'm not going to say you can absolutely do it 100% alone. None of us can do anything 100% alone. We were even birthed into the world with the help of our mothers. So we tend to think that as survivors, it's really hard to get or ask for help rather. And yeah, it can be difficult, but it's not impossible. And when we reach out and help others, we realize that it feels great to be able to help. So why not give someone else the opportunity to also help us? Why not give ourselves the opportunity to receive? I think that in this interview, you will find so many connections with Arlene and her story and also with how she struggled in many ways with stepping into that healing and at times running away from it, but eventually surrendering to the power that comes from stepping into and through the pain. I invite you to join me to tune in for today's episode and interview with Arlene Salcedo. So Arlene, I'm so excited to have you here today because you touch on topics that I'm super curious to learn more about. And I know that you have had your own experiences as a survivor and how you have managed to heal and talk about your healing journey, which I'm very interested in learning more about that I know is going to help our viewers or our listeners rather. So thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Thank you. So Arlene, you are a yoga instructor, a Reiki healer, and a human design chart reader. And I think most people know that, you know, what a yoga instructor does. Some people probably know what Reiki is. I think it's becoming more mainstream. But most people that I have come across don't really know what human design chart reading even is. So can you start by explaining what that is and, and also even maybe Reiki because there's I'm sure a lot of people that still don't know about it. So what is what are both of those things and how is it that you work with people? Both of those modalities use the the chakras and they also use energy. So for example, Reiki helps to balance out the chakras in the body. So chakras in the body can be overactive or underactive or they can be perfect, right? So Reiki mm. will you draw in white healing energy in from like the universe or a higher source. And you draw that in through your hands and you use hand symbols that come from, it's like a Japanese traditional healing modality. And so you learn the practices. Basically, you use your hands and you draw in that energy healing into the body so that it can help balance out the chakras, but also um, kind of clear the body of any negative energy, um, energy that's kind of off balancing and just kind of bring it back into alignment. Mm. So that's kind of like the gist of Reiki. and practitioners, everybody's different on how they use it because there's different types of Reiki. There's like fire Reiki, ring of fire Reiki. There's traditional Reiki. So you can get really deep into the different modalities, but they're all basically have the same premise of healing through the hands and using that universal white light energy. Um, Hmm. And then human design is almost in a sense, obviously it's not like balancing your chakras, But there are chakras in human design, and there's five modalities that consist of human design, which is the itching, the Kabbalah, the chakra system, astrology, and a little bit of like genetic coding. 
So they basically, the founder put all this together and used all these modalities to come up with the human design system. And human design is pretty much like how you vibrate energetically in the world and how you vibrate with others. And so it's kind of like a blueprint and a tool to help people understand how they can basically what they're here to do, like what they came into this world to do, because there is a karmic blueprint that you kind of come into. And so you're here to kind of like master that. But at the same time, there's other things that could come up in life that can get you off that path. So human design will also help you decondition yourself and get you back onto that right path. That's fascinating. Fascinating. And so use these modalities to help people. Can you tell me like what led you to use these modalities specifically and how they've helped you? Because I know like usually we teach what we've learned, right? And what has helped us. So how did you come to start using these specific modalities? I think I've always been drawn to these because of my past. I've had to overcome a lot of tragic events at a really young age. And so when I got into my mid-20s, I started realizing I didn't want to lose myself. Not that I felt like I was at that point, but I could feel that there was a shift that needed to happen. And so I started reading a lot of self-help books. Like back then it was The Secret and Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now and A New Earth. And I was watching The Oprah Show, right? So I was like all into that stuff. And then I got into yoga and that kind of opened up my horizon. And then I decided to go a step further. And I love working out. I love every type of workout. I've probably done it. I've done it all. But yoga really drew me initially for the stretching and the workout of it. And so I was like, you know what? I want to teach this. So I jumped into yoga teacher training, but this is where I didn't know. This was like the humble surprise about it all is because I didn't realize that this was going to open up my spiritual path. Hmm. So yoga really opened up that door and it's kind of like this door that I always knew I had. I just didn't know how to work with it in a sense. So yoga gave me that structure. And then from there, it just opened up the doors into the chakras. And then I was really interested in the chakras. And then I got interested in Ayurveda. And then I started kind of doing some more of this spiritual work. And then I got into, you know, understanding Reiki. And then from there, it was just like, going further and further. And then I stumbled upon human design. And I've always been intrigued about astrology. But when Mm -hmm. I read about human design, it just really resonated with my soul. So then from there, I decided, look, I need to really get into this because if this is helping me overcome my past and all the things that I've gone through, but also see this like potential within myself, then I need to start to share this because, well, one, why not? (laughs) And I'm all about helping others. So this is just that kind of what got me into that. So it's now just bringing everything all together and like offering the different modalities for different things. Right, right. So in terms of the way that you grew up, because I know when before we connected and I was I had wanted to learn more about your journey of healing. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like for you growing up? Because you said, you know, you had some traumatic events growing up and also even just in your family environment. Well, can you tell me a little bit about what that was like and how you said in your 20s is sort of when you started having, in a sense, an awakening? What was that experience like growing up and that led you to make those shifts? Growing up, my parents were really young when they had me, my sister and my brother. I'm the youngest of three. So they were really young. My mom was at least like 22 and I was her third child. So I came from really young parents who were still also trying to figure out themselves and figure out how to master their own lives along with raising kids. So in the midst of that, my dad got into alcoholism and he was an alcoholic when he started getting really bad when I was probably in my early, about from five to like nine. And those years were very hard on us as a family. My parents were always arguing. There was a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of physical abuse, a lot of, it was just really chaotic at that time. And so luckily my dad ended up not drinking anymore, which was one of the major reasons why all that happened. But as a child, I grew up in a very hostile environment and growing up with two parents trying to figure themselves out at the same time and figure their marriage out on top of substance abuse and other abuse. It's just, it was, it was a lot as a, kid to kind of receive and go through. Yeah, for sure. We've even had to 
when it got really bad, my mom stepped away and we, nobody was not necessarily that nobody was there to help, but she really kind of felt like she needed to do this on her own. So we were in a shelter home at least two times. And that was really hard as a kid being in a shelter home and away Mm -hmm. from your home and not knowing where you're going to, what cows is going to turn out. And so that was really hard to go through as a kid. Again, it changed when my dad stopped drinking. Obviously there was less fighting. It wasn't as chaotic, but you're still in that process of watching your parents rebuild. And so there's a lot of me having to watch them rebuild their foundation. And it was positive in a sense that knowing like, look, this is what it looks like when shit falls apart. And then (laughs) this is what it looks like to pick it up. So I think that's maybe the one thing that I can take from that as a kid was that as hard as it was. And all the things that we went through as a family, I was modeled at least ways to help yourself. Like my dad went to AA meetings. He Mm. went to them religiously and he, you know, started seeking that self-help that, you know, that he needed in order to get out of his alcoholism. My mom at the same time would went to Al-Anon and AA, and then we went to AA with her or not AA. I think it's Al-Anon or something like that. And so, you know, we were modeled that as far as And so that kind of helped us as adults, or at least me, kind of understand like there are tools for when it gets really dark. But as a kid, Mm -hmm. it was a really rough time. It was really hard going through all that. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And the thing is that most kids aren't even exposed to the sort of reparation of that. Like, you know, you had the, in a sense, almost the fortune of having parents that you were seeing them trying to fix the issues instead of it just kind of being split everybody splits ways and really sees what the resolution comes from or how it comes to be so I think you were saying you've got that modeled which I think is really powerful actually to have when you're growing up to be able to see somebody as an adult attempting to fix what you know the damage that they created so in a sense that was some aspects that were positive right And then you talked about also with your, you also had an assault or sexual assault that happened when you were a teenager. Was that something that happened at school or can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So after my parents and all that got kind of balanced, (laughs) maybe about had two years of somewhat decent, no hostility type of thing. wasn't going through anything super tragic. Two years down the road. I was about 16 my sophomore year. It actually was around Christmas. And I was assaulted by my best friend's boyfriend. Mm. That was really hard to go through, but also to other people. And it was really hard to deal with that because I had a lot of guilt and shame. I think everybody, I'm assuming, puts that on them, you know, when that happens. Mm -hmm. But I more so had it because... I was just a dumb girl one day, too trusting, and um, I didn't want to go to school late and be stuck in detention for the first hour of school. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I saw um, one, my you know best friend's boyfriend, who, again, I had trusted, and went to his house just to hang out for that hour because I didn't want to be in detention. And, and then he offered me something to drink. And then next thing you know, I'm like drinking and drinking and drinking and I'm not realizing that. I didn't drink at the time, so I didn't know what my capacity for, uh, like, how many how many can you drink before you actually get wasted, right? right. So being that young, I didn't know what my limits were, and um, and then just being naive and trusting, and then um, and I was the only girl in that home because when I got to the house, there was two other males that were there. I didn't know that when he had first told me about it to come over to his house. So, anyways, long story short. I end up really intoxicated and then they end up, you know, raping me. So half of the time I was unconscious. So I don't really have too many memories. The memories that I do have is me waking up and just trying the best I can to fight, but I couldn't fight because I felt like I had somebody, it was almost like I felt like somebody was sitting on top of my hands and my feet and I, but they weren't, Mm -hmm. right? They were just in their action of doing whatever they're doing. But I think the alcohol just got me so like weighed down that I couldn't even get up, but I knew what was going on. So I would kind of go in and out of like consciousness in a sense. And so finally, towards everything, towards the end, when I started to get, you know, really get more energy, then I started to fight back. 
And then at that point, that's how it stopped. So it was, you know, me fighting back. And as soon as I can get that strength, I got my, you know, fought them off and then went and grabbed my stuff and then ran out of the house and, you know, went to school. And my plan actually was not even to say anything. I was walking back and I just was telling myself, I'm not going to tell anybody anything because I was already feeling ashamed for getting myself in that situation. So I'm this 16 year old girl feeling like an idiot for getting myself into this. Now I feel like I'm this dirty 16 year old girl. So I'm walking back to school and then I come into school and it just so happened it was like passing period. So I go into the bathroom and I don't know what I look like because I didn't check myself out before I left. (laughs) And so the next thing you know, I see a bunch of friends and it's funny how the universe has a way of playing things out because a lot of my really good friends ended up being in the bathroom that day at that time. Mm. And they looked at me and they said, Arlene, what the hell happened to you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, and, and I was like, oh, you know, I probably smell like alcohol or whatever, but they weren't necessarily referring to that. I must've looked like a mess. So I catch the eye of like the new, the person that's like making sure, I don't know, everybody's being good in the bathroom. So she comes in and she looks at me and she takes the smell of me and she's like, oh, you're intoxicated. We're going to the principal's office. And I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) This is just awesome. So then I go to the principal's office and then they're sitting me down. I'm in the dean's office. And then they're like, we're going to call your parents. I'm like, great, fine, whatever. And I'm just so out of it and tired and just trying to understand like, how am I going to manage all this? Mm -hmm. Put my head down. And my mom ended up coming in and my dad. And then I look at my mom and then she looks at me and I was wearing a jacket. I didn't even have my jacket with me. It was really windy that day in December. And the security guard gave me his jacket. So my mom opens up this jacket and she's like, Arlene, what happened? And she automatically knew. It was like mother Mm. intuition at that point. And I, at that point, just melted. And I just told her everything at that point. And it was almost like, you know, me trying to already convince myself, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And then when your mom comes in, it's like, forget it, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of my coming out of it all, but it didn't, it wasn't pretty after that. I mean, it was, you know, I had to change schools. I had to change my whole life at that point. I mean, that friend that I had the best friend that I had since second grade, she did not believe me. So she remained with her boyfriend and I just cut it off from her at that point. So it was a lot of upside down. Did did any of this end up going to like, was there a prosecution situation or what, like what ended up happening with that? So what happened is yes, the school called the police and then the police came and they raided their house. They found a bunch of evidence. I was on my menstrual cycle at the time. So there was clear evidence that I was there because <laughs> they mm. took off a lot of those panty liners or whatever. And I had a couple of my stuff there. So there was evidence that I was there. And then long story short, the DA called my parents at the time because I was under the age of 18. And they told them that it was really up to my parents because because I was intoxicated, that I wouldn't, they don't know if I would be able to handle the I don't know how to explain it, like the judgment from the attorney, right? From the defense Mm. attorney. So basically like your daughter's going to be rung through the gutter. And if you want us to prosecute them, we can. But at the same time, these are the things that she's going to have to overcome. Do you think she can, right? Mm -hmm. So my parents at the time made the decision not to go that route. They said, well, we've moved her schools. We've moved her out of that environment. We have the support she needs. She, we don't maybe need to go down that road. but in the long run, I was pissed because I felt like I got my my power taken away. You know, like I wanted them to go into jail because one, now you're talking about everybody not believing me because they're still walking around, right? right. So now it's like my friends that still go to that school. The girl, my best friend, I had to break up with over um, her boyfriend. You know, now you just gave everybody all the ammunition not to believe me. So right. isn't that just like, then I was just this angry girl, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understandably it, it and it, uh, it's, it's almost re-traumatizing in a sense, going through that just as much as maybe having done the other option, right? Yeah. And I didn't feel validated. 
I mean, I knew my parents validated me. I knew like the core, like my core family, my sister, my brother, my mom, my dad. But I started thinking about family, friends, other people that like I want to know, or even now, right? Even when I tell the story now, like, well, what happened? No, nothing. They just walked around and got a slap on their face, you know, or in their hand. So it's kind of like, it still bothers me, but I had to find peace with that. You know, I had to find that, that you don't need to be validated by others. This episode is brought to you by Consent Parenting, my online platform for survivor parents to learn how to keep their kids safe from abuse. Did you know that children of survivors have a five times higher chance of being abused? Because survivor parents don't know or learn the tools to prevent abuse. They tend to overprotect instead of empowering and preparing. You can change the statistics by becoming an educated parent. Enroll in my Child Predator Protection Masterclass to learn the three things you can do to protect your kids from predatory online and offline grooming so that your kids are not targeted and you can prevent abuse. This is for parents with kids ages 2 to 18. Use code podcast to get 50% off this class by signing up when you go to aboutconsent.com forward slash protect. Link is in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. Right. And I mean, especially at the time having to make such huge changes and as much as, you know, you realize that when you're older at the time when you're that young and your whole social system is sort of imploded, right? It's a really hard thing to have to accept and manage. And fortunately, you did have the support, of course, at home, but a lot of survivors don't. But what I also find interesting is, you know, that's a really traumatic event to have to go through. And a lot of people, when they come out of that, it will haunt them for years, right? And it will really alter how they perceive themselves. Like you said, you know, you felt shame and felt like you were dirty, even though obviously none of that was something that should ever be on the shoulders of a survivor because it's not your fault. You're not any of those things that you tend to think about yourself after something like that happens. But you said when you got to your 20s, which is really only like four or five years later, right? Mm -hmm. So much changes between that time. And you started having an awakening how did that impact your sense of self? And now that you have your own family and how is that all, what's been the transition? Because when we spoke before the, we started recording, you said, you know, I can easily talk about this now because I've healed from it, right? And you feel like it's not a sore spot anymore and you're what would be considered a thriver because you are now in the position where you're helping others to heal. So can you talk about what, those years in between were like, you know, between that and then when you finally started to heal? Because I think a lot of times we look at when somebody is in that state of being um, not necessarily healed, because I think we always have things that we're healing from. But when you're considering yourself a thriver, people look at the before and the after and they don't look at the middle piece. Can you talk a little bit about what that middle part was like, that transition between survivor to awakening and then thrivership? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because, I mean, the way that I look at it in my own truth, right? Everybody has their own truth. (laughs) And the way that I see it is because in my mid 20s or my early 20s, I had lost my child, my um, second child to SIDS. And that was a, that was really hard. (laughs) Like if you ask Mm -hmm. me out of everything I've been through, that was probably the hardest, right? Losing a child that, you know, and I was so also so young, it was really hard. But when I think about that, and I look back at my growing up years and my and also, um, you know, being raped, I got the coping skills to deal with tragedy really early. Mm. So when I lost my daughter, I kind of went back to the tools that I did before, right? Like, okay, one support, I need support. Two, I need to not lose myself. So what do I need to do to not like completely lose myself. <laughs> so, yeah. so I kind of got those same tools that I learned through the tragedies and then applied them again when I lost my daughter. But that was more, that's when the spirituality came into question. All those things that I've went through with the childhood stuff and then the rape stuff, and then, then now losing my daughter, I didn't question God in those earlier years. When I lost my daughter, I questioned God. 
I questioned why me? Why all this? And my spirituality came into question. And it was a good two years of me battling spirituality. And I mean, like, dark spirituality. Like, Mm. is there like the devil's here? Is he really here? Like, it, it was so scary, but it also shook me to the core that I never realized that spirituality actually got me through the other things. And this time, I didn't know if I could make it without it. So that's when it opened up the door to spirituality pretty much. And I started searching for that. So I guess those in-between years is where I needed that spirituality to like really get me through everything. Because before I was being maybe driven through hope or or just positivity or support, but I really needed to rely on spirituality at that point because you're talking about your child going to heaven and you're like, well, does heaven really even exist? Like, you yes, know, yeah. is there really a God and why would God do this? Especially all that I've been through and blah, 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 blah. And so the in-between was a lot of spiritual work and I just try to focus on it on any way that I can by like I said, I started reading those books, the spirituality books, and I really started understanding energy at that point. And then when I got into yoga training and yoga teacher training, then it really made so much more sense. And I learned mm. that a lot of people have an awakening when a spiritual awakening or can tap into deep healing, like a soul healing, when there is a rock bottom. Right. I realized, yeah, I had hit my rock bottom like plenty of times, but um, that rock bottom helped me open the door into learning how to heal using all these different tools, the mind, the body, the soul. Right, so right. That was kind That's of the awesome. Middle. Yeah, well, and it's awesome that you were able to find that because I think a lot of times we, you know, and I can speak for myself, we can disconnect from spirituality altogether because you almost feel betrayed by, you know, like you said, is there a God? Is there a devil? Like what, depending on how you grew up in the belief system that you came from. And, you know, for me, I know I had just put it in a closet for a long time. And so other people like yourself, they can actually dig into it deeper and then find what is going to help them, what is going to help them heal. So once you did delve into yoga and then started on the journey of Reiki healing and and learning more about human design charts and how are you using that now? How is that helping the people, the clients that you work with? How are you using sort of your personal experience to guide others to find their own healing? Like, for example, I'll break each one down on how I use it for me personally and then also with my clients. So like yoga is the focus on the body, right? So it's like movement of the body because in the body, there's energy meridians, right? And so when you move that energy through the body, through yoga practice or breath work, you kind of get that stagnant energy out. I'll never forget one time I was in yoga teacher training and it was on the day of my daughter's passing anniversary. And I was like, usually I put myself like kind of away from the world on that day. But that day I had to go out because I had to do some training. So I had to do a class, um, participate in a class. And I was at this class and then we were in a hip opening position. And so there was a philosophy in yoga that when you do hip openers, that you release trapped emotions because your hip, your emotions will lie within your hips in that sacral mm. chakra area. So I moved in this hip opening position and then all of a sudden just tears came flooding out. And I was like, oh, wow, this really is true. Like, I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. And then all of a sudden I have my experience with it. I couldn't stop crying. Like it was just, it was just very interesting how a yoga pose cracked my body open and let those emotions that I was holding on to really tight because I didn't want to cry that day or deal with it that day. And so that was like an awakening about how yoga can really get things moving out and out of the body. And then breath work too, calming the body down, meditation, getting out of your head pretty much. So Mm. that's, that's kind of how I use yoga with my students and with myself. And then Reiki is like, you have issues in your tissues. So um, (laughs) you can store these feelings and these issues in your body and now have body ailments. Like, for example, I have PCOS, which is a sacral chakra imbalance. Nobody in my family really has PCOS. And I wonder why. What is PCOS? It's polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you get cysts okay. on your ovaries. 
Okay. So the theory is that if you're thinking about things in disease, in diseases that forms in the body from a traumatic experience, so the cysts on my ovaries are buildup of unmet emotional trauma. And so Mm. if you want to look at it in that way, right? So basically, and I've had a lot of issues with my sacral chakra area, which is that womb area, right? So, I mean, it's always out of balance and I kind of understand why, right? So Reiki, I went and sought Reiki to kind of heal that imbalance by using energy work. And so I started seeing this change within myself and my body. So then I thought, hmm, I should learn more about this so I can do Reiki on myself. I'm also very empathic. I can feel people's stuff. So I also wanted to do Reiki to learn how to block other people's stuff. I don't mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. So, and then by doing that, mostly doing everything for me is how got, what got me to share it to others. Because if I can right. feel like it's helped me so much, then I want to go and help others heal too, especially from everything that I've gone through. If this can help me, this can help others too. And yeah, then um, yeah. design, for me, when I read it on my chart, I really resonated for it. So everybody has an incarnation cross and their incarnation cross is their soul purpose. So this is what your soul decided to come into this world and achieve and do. You decided this before you were even born. You just, oh, this is my mission. I'm going to jump into this body and that's what I'm going to do. So Hmm. everybody has their incarnation cross. Mine is called the vessel of love. And the vessel of love is all about loving the body, loving the spirit and loving the mind. So when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm already on this path like of doing this. And my, my incarnation cross is about sharing about the love of the body, the love of the mind, the love of the soul. So when I really, I really resonated with it. And then I started digging into the gates and the channels and the open chakras and how to make decisions. And I started applying human design, then everything just kind of opened up. And so I treat my clients when I work with people, I'm coming from all different places. I'm coming from human design. I'm helping them implement yoga in their life. I'm helping them understand energy healing. And so it's not just like, you're only going to get one thing. It's like, no, here's everything in the kitchen sink. (laughs) Yeah, I find it fascinating. I know I needed all of these tools because I also believe in, I've never taken, and I'm not against medication at all. But I've never taken any any type of um, medication. I've never used any substance abuse or anything like that. I try to do everything naturally and holistically the best way that I can by diet, healthy lifestyle, all these energy things, and human design. And so I just feel like if I can empower people to do it this route versus using other routes, then I want to do more of this. I want to share it and get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And it's interesting because the fact that energy is something that we don't tend to think about as something to help heal trauma, uh, but it's finally, I think, starting to become more well-known is this idea of working with our energy and through things like yoga and Reiki and learning about our the ways that different ways that energy works in our body when we have trauma and particularly for anyone who has complex trauma you know anything that was you know ongoing for years mm-hmm. sometimes that happens you know that will be the case with child sexual abuse survivors the stress anxiety depression like all of those things are things that will get stuck in our body and you know therapists will talk about it as our nervous system but i also believe that it's very much tied with our energy i think our nervous system and energy are almost one in the same, you know, I'm not speaking as a professional of any kind in this, but that's just the sense that I get is that when we talk about the way that energy flows through our body, it's connected, you know, to the way that our nervous system interacts with our own internal and external energy. And so thinking about other ways that we can heal isn't just about going to therapy, isn't just about, you know, doing sort of the traditional things that people think of doing when it comes to trauma, healing and trauma release. I think the fact that we can work with our bodies as part of that healing is really powerful and important because that's where the trauma happened, right? It, it didn't just happen in our minds. Mm-hmm. It also happened on our bodies physically. So 
I think that that's amazing. And I love that you are incorporating all of these different things. So what would you recommend to someone who is currently going through or has gone through, uh, let's say, maybe an abusive situation and is wanting to begin to heal? What are some of the recommendations based on your own experiences and what you currently do that you would recommend? I, for sure, therapy. I am also a believer in going to therapy. That's one of the first things. That was like my first go-to because you need to talk it out. Um, and it's just getting it out verbally, um, getting everything that you have within you verbally and getting it out. Um, that's one way of like almost like purging the body in a sense um, verbally. And then um, for me, though, I don't think it stops there. I think there also, like we were saying, needs to be an energetic clearing and cleaning. And honestly, mm-hmm. it's something that you're going to have to deal with every five, 10 years, maybe. Like there's times where something will spark up something and then I'm right back again at maybe step two, right? So it's knowing that you need to continually work on this for as long as you need to work on it. And even if you're five years and you're like, oh, I've been good for the past five years. And then all of a sudden, you know, something happens and then you get right back to square one, then pick it right back up again. Because I've learned that when other tragedies happen, the door reopens again for the last tragedy. So it's getting yourself used to seeking help when you need it, wherever you need it, even if it's like 30 years ago that you got help and then now you're dealing, just, just go back, get it again as many times as you can. Just get it out. Yeah. And then um, clearly the energy healing, just to getting getting it out of the body. Also, another thing that I've really been into is ancestral healing and understanding mm-hmm. that what we go through, sometimes we can unconsciously pass down things to our children and to their kids. It takes four generations to clear any type of residual effects from physical abuse or sexual abuse or domestic violence, rape, anything like that. And I've seen it in my own family. Mm-hmm. There's, been, there's been a lot of stuff like that going on in, in my side of the family as well. So I've read a book called um, It Didn't Start With You. It's an amazing book. It talks about ancestral healing. And so, you know, allowing yourself to stop that cycle of, of, let's just say something happened to your mom or your dad, right? And it being passed down to you in that sense. Then from there, how are you going to stop this, this from affecting any more generations? And I'm not just talking about the physical abuse. I'm talking about the like, also the, how can I say the, um, the effects of what that person did to one person on how it affects you and then how you could subconsciously pass that on. For example, uh, my mom went Mm -hmm. through things in the past with sexual abuse and I know she passed things on to me, not like on purpose, but (laughs) there are things as a child that I had to go through because things happened to my mom. Right. So I decided I'm not going to pass on this torch of um, hurt and pain that was not mine to begin with, but that got passed on to me. So it's it's also doing a little bit of that right. work, which is a little more in depth, I guess. And then just understanding mm-hmm. yourself and understanding that you are not your pain. You are not the victim. You are actually a very powerful person. Now you have more power within you. Nobody took anything away from you. And it took me a while to really realize that. And I, I don't like the word victim. Because I, yeah. I just feel like it's, it makes me feel like I'll always be a victim and I don't want to always be a victim. I'm a, a person that got taken advantage of, but right now I just, that's just, right. I just don't like the word victim. Yeah. And I mean, I think in, in the case of the way that these situations do happen where there is an abuser and a victim. I, that's really the only situation where I think that that really fits. But it really becomes once we can take back our power that we are no longer that that victim, right? And um, you know, there's many perspectives on that. I respect everyone's opinion to it, but my personal perspective is similar to yours, where you know that situation happens and you can choose to continue allowing your power to be taken away subsequently, or you can reclaim it and decide that that happened, but you're no longer going to continue living in that space, right? So 
And I, I think that it is incredibly important, like you said, to remind anyone who is a survivor that they do have a tremendous amount of power inside that just needs to be tapped into. And a lot of times we forget how to do that based on the trauma that we un, you know, uh, underwent. Mm-hmm. But I love the advice that you give. I think that, you know, uh, definitely seeking someone to speak to, seeking support, whether that's through therapy or groups or even seeking out to those people closest to you and being able to open up about what happened is powerful. And then going from there to something where it is a physical release of, you know, those stresses and anxiety and energy through body movements and different types of modalities, many of which are, you know, what you do. And from there, knowing that you can reclaim that, you know, so I'm very much about that. So I I love the advice that you gave there. And one of the things that I think is also really important to remind listeners is that this is an ongoing journey, like you said, it could have happened a long time ago, and you may feel like you have peeled or you overcame it, and then something else brings something else up, right? And it's okay to always to know that it's a journey and you can continue to go through that healing and uh, heal another part of yourself, right? So I'm glad that you also brought that up. So Arlene, tell me what is what is on the horizon for you? What are you doing? What work or projects are you going to be embarking on this year? I'm going to be starting Ayurvedic practitioner school, which is something that was on my bucket list. I made a vision board like a year and a half ago and everything on that vision board has kind of come to life, which were things that I thought were like not going to happen. (laughs) You know, you just make a vision board because you're like, oh, that's pretty cool, but who knows when it'll happen. And it all kind of started happening really quick. Mm. Ayurvedic school was on there and and it's just another thing that will really round out everything. Once I'm done with Ayurvedic school, I would like to open up my own practice. So I'm on the the steps mm-hmm. of that. That's my bigger goal. But this first, this 2020 will be a year of um, embarking on Ayurveda, which if people don't know what Ayurveda is, it's a the sister science of yoga. So yoga and Ayurveda kind of go together. Yoga is the the body in a sense, like the workout, the breathing, the all that. And then Ayurveda is like the lifestyle. So the eating mm-hmm. and all that. So it's going to tie Ayurveda and yoga together very well. And it still works very well with Reiki and um, human design. And then I also want to do more work like this. I want to do more work with me sharing my story. I don't know. I haven't really shared a lot of my personal hurts in from the past. And so I want to start sharing more and empowering other women, um, other survivors of rape, of growing up with domestic violence, and just really start to share my story and empower other women. So I'm honored that you gave me this platform today, because this just helps me um, achieve that, and get a step closer to it. Well, I'm excited for you with the school and and your new venture. So that is awesome. Kudos to you for doing that. And thank you actually for being vulnerable enough to share because it's not something that most people find easy to do. And I think that the more um, we can share our stories and let people know that there's nothing to be ashamed of. We, you know, the, the person who committed the abuse is really the only one who should have any shame or guilt of any kind. So I think knowing that hearing that more is allowing more women to be able to come out of that shadow and stand in their power and know that, you know, they can also heal and, and have an amazing life. So thank you for sharing that. So I wanted to ask you, at the end of each episode, I ask guests to offer advice on one of the main topics that I discuss here. So either consent, boundaries, and sexual empowerment. And so I wanted to ask you to choose one topic to give advice on uh, for the audience. About consent, boundaries, and what was the other one? I'm sorry? A sexual empowerment. Oh, I think boundaries. I think for me, boundaries has been the one thing that I've probably had a struggle with boundaries is kind of what got me in trouble in the first not not me in trouble but you know one of the things that I should have been cautious about as a young young woman growing up and I just think because I grew up from a home where there really was no boundaries there was and there wasn't you know my parents were kind of strict and Mm -hmm. structured but then at the same time 
it was a pendulum of like chaos on the other end. So I wasn't really, Mm -hmm. didn't grow up with like strong boundaries. Um, And then also seeing, you know, the abuse that happened with my mom or with my siblings or even with myself, like that crossed boundaries, right? So then, you know, Mm -hmm. going into high school, it's like, well, now I'm clearly walking into my young womanhood and I don't have very good, healthy sense of strong boundaries. And then when I, you know, and then now my boundaries clearly got embarked on with all of that. And so, and then leading into my 20s, same thing. I had boundary issues with friendships, with relationships. And I just think it all stemmed from the younger self, not knowing what clear, good boundaries look like. And even not to say that because I didn't have the best boundaries, it didn't mean that that I made that happen to me. It just means that I understand that I needed to be clear of my boundaries and really honor them because sometimes as women, we don't honor our our boundaries and we just want to please and please and please or give and give and give. And then we sweep all the stuff that is important to us under the rug. Um, I know I do that a lot. And so I'm really starting to work with clearing my, my boundaries and being very firm and being um, a stickler to putting myself first with my boundaries. Right. Right. Yeah. No, and that's good. That's important. So yeah, boundaries is a big, big topic here, of course. And I'm always all for helping women learn how to develop them and, and implement them because most of us just didn't grow up with having them and just our parents just didn't know how to how to have them either so or how to teach them Mm -hmm. even so I think that's great so how can people find you and if they want to learn more about your work and connect with you you can find me on instagram at lunasoul wellness I have a website too lunasoulwellness.com I do plan to start blogging a little more on there and um, sharing some youtube videos kind of sharing more about human design and reiki cooking like the Ayurvedic way. So I plan to embark on a lot of YouTubing and also blogging next year as well. But yeah, follow me there. I also have Facebook, but I'm mostly on Instagram. It's just easier. And then, and yeah, if you ever want to book a session or you have questions or anything like that, you can always reach out to me through Instagram or my website. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I will definitely post all of those links in the show notes so you can anyone who's listening wants to connect, definitely check them out through there. And Arlene, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story and your, your experience and how you are helping to heal others as well. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate the time. So listeners, next time that we uh, tune in, I will be having another amazing guest. So be sure to and definitely if you enjoyed today's episode please leave a review we would love to hear from you be sure to tag either of us screenshot this episode and tag either of us to let us know that you checked it out and what was your favorite thing about today's episode until next time thank you for listening stay empowered my friends bye-bye don't miss the next episode be sure to subscribe to the podcast And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.